Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm Jenny Colapitro, PwC's Vice Chair for Health Industries, working across pharmaceuticals, medtech, payers, and providers. And I'm Igor Belokronitsky, a principal with PwC Strategy End, where I help leading health organizations with their strategies and operating models. Jenny and I today have three guests, Josette Buran, Emily Ann Jacobstein, and Hugo Perizzo, who are also helping a number of our health clients all over the country achieve their most strategic goals. Welcome. Hi, Igor. Hi there. Thanks for having us. Hi, everyone. Hello and welcome. Now, as I look back at over 80 episodes of the Next in Health podcast we have now recorded, COVID-19 has been a big topic that we've given a lot of coverage to. And the three of you have been out there in the marketplace helping your clients learn the lessons of this pandemic and prepare us for future shocks, not just other pandemics, but also other shocks like climate, war, politics, terrorism, other threats that we're facing that could really disrupt the health ecosystems around the country and around the world. Of course, Josette, you have been on the front lines of dealing with this pandemic, not just as a consultant, but also as a leader of the health organization where you used to work. And so as all of you reflect on these learnings, what has stuck with you? What has been the biggest, most unexpected, most memorable, most profound moment or insight or takeaway from studying and dealing with the current pandemic and thinking about the future. Maybe Josette, I'll start with you. Sure. Thanks, Igor. You know, my biggest takeaway was just how quickly we were able to pivot how we worked, both patient-facing and on the business side of things. Patient-facing, we shut services off, standing up a temporary hospital in preparation for what we thought would be the first wave of the COVID surge. And then almost immediately had to turn services back on when the first wave didn't hit. We started seeing massive numbers of patients virtually, which was something we had pushed for, for years, and it was finally happening almost overnight. We're also leveraging technology like iPads and ICUs to assist with communication between patients and their families. On the business side, we use technology to better communicate with colleagues really in mass to keep them as up to date and as informed as possible. And we're working from home using tools like video conferencing to keep the business actually running. So, so much of the way we worked seemed to change in an instant. And from this experience, I think things will continue this way. And, you know, I think it's going to be a much faster pace of change and a future for how we work. This is Emily Ann. When I think about what was most surprising and unexpected, I think it's the endurance of COVID-19. I've spoken to so many different leaders and none of them were surprised that we faced a pandemic. Everyone knew one was going to come at some point, and especially after Ebola a few years ago, we thought we were prepared for it, but no one expected it to last for so long. And the endurance of the disease has really impacted everything from long-term supply chain challenges to the staffing challenges, the funding challenges. And it just continues to go. And I'm saying this as we're yet again facing numbers that are trending upwards. We were all prepared for if something happened for two weeks and we could handle that. We just didn't expect it to spread so quickly and to go on for quite so long. 
And from my perspective, and this has been alluded to a bit already, but what stands out is that crises often lead to the breakdown of silos in a positive way. And we've seen this be the case not only within organizations, but also between organizations. And so, for example, we saw internally organizations becoming more flat with executives becoming more involved in the day-to-day operations and decision-making. And between organizations, we saw peer organizations, organizations that traditionally compete with one another in peacetime start to collaborate differently. And one good example of this that comes to mind is we saw the emergence of daily CEO meetings, pulling together regional leadership from different organizations at the same time every day over the course of the crisis. And that enabled a more coordinated approach to crisis management in the communities they collectively serve. Those are all great reflections. And Hugo, you mentioned crisis management. So I'll take us in for maybe a little role play here. So if the three of you could imagine you're going into a meeting with the CEO of a health organization. She has, of course, a lot on her plate dealing with staffing shortages, reimbursement challenges, IT system migrations, bad press, competitive threats, disruptions, you name it, all pretty typical. She has not been on vacation in three years. And here you are and you want to talk to her about the importance of emergency preparedness. How do you have that conversation? Well, first of all, I think this is a really great question. And reflecting back on the many conversations we've had with executives, one of the big takeaways we've gathered is that crises often exacerbate the longstanding systemic issues provider organizations are already facing. And Keeping that in mind, I think it's important that when we have these conversations with CEOs, we ground emergency preparedness discussions to the issues they're already facing. And I think what that does is it makes these topics more pertinent and tangible to them in the present. I agree with what Hugo just said. And when we're looking at these known issues, we need to look at the ones that haven't received a lot of attention or at least the attention they should. One that comes to mind for me is something like deferred maintenance. Every hospital has it. And deferred maintenance in a building can be something that can lead to an isolated emergency where, you know, God forbid a building collapses on its own, or it can be part of a larger challenge with a public health emergency with extreme weather and flooding of a hospital tower. Or even you look at the pandemic and upgrading facilities around ventilation and something as basic and core as deferred maintenance, that's a hard thing to stay on top of when you're looking at budgeting, can suddenly become a major issue. So I would encourage that CEO to take a look at that laundry list that she has of projects that she hasn't gotten to or areas of concern and take the time to do some scenario planning around what those risks associated with each of those areas may be. It'll probably be a very long conversation if you do that, but it can be a helpful way of thinking ahead at what can happen. I agree with what both just said. The three of us, as Igor mentioned at the start of the podcast, have been very fortunate to actually have some of these conversations with CEOs. We started off our conversations with a thank you for all of the work that they had already done. So I definitely start my conversation like that. But I found that the conversations flow freely and they want to share both the lessons learned and the ways to better prepare in the future. 
I think folks are very generous with their time and don't mind having these conversations. One, because they're really proud of the work that's been accomplished. And they really want to focus and not waste time on these lessons learned. They want to make sure that they get these lessons learned out there. And they talk about how they communicated differently, how the collaboration and partnerships were absolutely critical, how they leverage technology very differently, and things that they want to make sure, like credentialing and waivers, that they can start up in the event that we'd face another pandemic and not having to wait. So I think that leaders really want to share their experiences to better prepare us for the future. Those are great insights and really bring it home. Everything from appealing to pride to being very practical to making it more visceral, where it's not just about an invisible threat. It's also about something as physical as the facility that could be at risk. And so let's continue this imaginary conversation with the CEO. And let's imagine that other leaders in the organization have now joined as part of the executive council. And you look around the room and inevitably the conversation becomes not just about the what, but also the who. So who should be accountable for this emergency preparedness? Is it, as Emily Ann was describing, the person who's in charge of facilities? Is it chief operations officer? Is it CIO? Is it some new role that we need to create? How do we think about accountability for being more ready for these future shocks? Sure. Happy to jump in, Igor. Well, by now, hopefully organizations know that they do, in fact, have the responsibility at the highest level to commit the necessary resources to emergency preparedness. More specifically, they should have someone dedicated to help coordinate and manage this effort. But throughout this pandemic, we've seen that it takes a team to be successful. And I think Hugo was touching on that earlier. This includes not only internal resources working well together, but external stakeholders as well. Regardless if whether they're considered to be a competitor prior to the pandemic or not. And it really needs to be, I think, a team of both clinical and non-clinical folks. You know, stakeholders really need to work across the entire healthcare continuum. Ongoing collaborations and I think partnerships outside of industry are equally important. And I think of particular focus are the government agencies that can help in emergency preparedness. I agree. I'm far less concerned with the background or the title, the specific individual tasked with emergency preparedness leadership, but I'm more focused on making sure that that individual has the communication tools that are needed in the situation. They have to be able to very quickly and clearly communicate internally at all levels of the organization, externally to peer organizations, the government, news organizations, and of course, to patients and families that are going to be impacted by the disaster, depending on the scale of it. So that cross-collaboration and messaging is so, so, so critical, especially at the initial stages of a public health crisis. Yeah, and to echo a bit on what Emily Ann was saying, I think the specific individual accountable for this function will vary depending on the type and size of the organization. That said, one takeaway we've heard loud and clear in the conversations we've had is that it's very important to have an operational voice or multiple voices brought in early in the planning process. And as we all know, planning is only as good as its execution. 
So this individual should have a strong operational foundation and they should be able to weigh in on the viability and challenges associated with implementing a plan. Okay, so let's continue our imaginary exec council meeting. Now the council has to decide what they're going to do. Imagine that they only have $1 to spend on preparedness. Where should they spend it? You know, I would say if they only have $1, I would put it towards collaboration with their peers. And that could be something like dues to a state hospital association or a similar sort of organization, something where they're going to be able to establish communication and collaboration with peer organizations, rally together with United Voice and reach out to the government as well. Those open channels of communication are what will lead to success, whether it's around resource sharing, data sharing, coordinated requests from other authorities and the appropriate messaging to the public. And we talked a bit about systemic issues facing provider organizations. I think staffing is certainly at the forefront of many organizations. And I think these challenges are unlikely to be resolved overnight. We've also learned that these challenges only get worse in times of crisis. And for that reason, I could see this dollar being spent on ways to sustain and grow the healthcare workforce so that organizations are more healthy when crisis strikes. That said, we know staffing is a finite resource and there's certainly merit in also exploring creative ways to make caregivers more efficient This could mean the deployment of technologies that remove burden from day-to-day operations. Ultimately, I think we need to think differently about roles and responsibilities on the front line, and we need to make the most of what we have. I'd add in research. It really is at the core of our clinical care. Research is important to be able to identify potential threats in the future and how we possibly prevent them from actually happening. However, when they do happen, we've also seen the critical nature of identifying treatments. With COVID-19, treatments couldn't come fast enough. And through the pandemic, we've discovered just how connected we are across the world. And we actually need to leverage the positives from this as it relates to research collaborations in the future and work with the brilliant minds across the globe to develop solutions. Well, Josette, Emily, and Hugo, we were really hoping that today you would have simple answers for us. Unfortunately, you did not, but you did have nuanced answers instead, and we really appreciate it. And for me, at least, the big takeaway was that while there are no easy answers as to where to start and who's responsible and how to resource it, the big important thing is to have the conversation, to put all of these issues on the table, to bring all of these people to the table and start talking about how to be more prepared next time around and start planting the seeds for it and thinking long terms in areas like research that Josette is describing. So we appreciate you bringing those thoughts to us and all the work you're doing out there to get our systems more prepared for the challenges ahead. And so thanks for spending the time with us today. For more, On these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC All Rights Reserved. 
PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.